Hi, I'm Gary Cook, and welcome to my podcast on the Senior Times platform. And today I'm continuing my series on rugby legends. And my guest today is a titan of Irish and Munster rugby, not to mention a British and Irish lion. He started off life as a Gaelic footballer and had even won an All-Ireland title with Kerry before he ever played rugby for Ireland. In fact, he was told he was too small for international rugby. Mick Galway, you are very welcome. Thank you very much, Gary. Thank you. I mentioned in my in my intro there uh, that at some point or various points, you said that you were told that you weren't quite big enough for international rugby. Is that, is that really true? Well, yes, it's true because, you know, like, and I often speak about this, I, you know, I was the most top person at the, at the record, and maybe not anymore with the, with this, the amount of games we were on, but at one stage I had the record of the most top person in Irish rugby, so I got all the excuses. You know, yeah. like I, you know, you were up against fellas nearly seven foot tall. I remember like playing against England and Mark Bayfield and, and, and Way Dooley and, and, you know, they were six, six foot ten, eleven, and, and uh, you know what I mean? So this is the yeah. and, and But at the same time, you know, I suppose I always fought my corner. It was not just about, um, you know, the height of somebody in the line or whatever. It's, it's about the whole contribution. And maybe as the game changed and involved, it certainly suited me more, I, I felt, because there was a time that if you could stand there and win a few lineouts and push in the scrum and you had nothing else to do, really. But um, thankfully, the game evolved. And I think as the, as, the, as the game changed more, it probably suited me more because I... Because again, going back to my, I suppose maybe what I would learn to keep playing Gaelic football, and my natural football ability probably came into it more um, towards the end of my career. But certainly, um, yeah, I got all the excuses. But yeah, one of them was I was I was too small. I was six foot four, about eighteen stone, and um, too small. So that's 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 the way it is. Thankfully, people like John Hayes came along, and when John Hayes came along, I lift a prop that was the same height as myself, probably three or four stone heavier than me. He was able to lift me to heights that nobody else could go and that he saved my life and gave me an extra 20 caps in my career. So of all the people, John Hayes, I think have to, I, have to, I have to thank the most, the Bull Hayes. Uh, I hope he repays you and kind of pints and stuff like that. For <laughs> such oh, a kind thing to say. Your story kind of fascinates me for several reasons. Um, on top of the fact that you're, you know, a great player and a, and a great leader and so on, but also, you know, that you grew up really uh, playing Gaelic football in Kerry, you know, the kingdom. Uh, and uh, I was just kind of wondering, what was your what was your life like growing up? Just was it a, a life of sport and and all that? Yeah, I suppose it was a life. It was amazing how you know growing up growing up in Kerry, like any other young young man, or maybe you know, particularly. In the time, you know, maybe like I was growing up in the seventies when the Kerry Dublin rivalry was was phenomenal. Like, and the only thing in my, I suppose, in my head that I ever wanted to do, I didn't think there was, you know, I didn't think I didn't think outside of sport when I was like, you know, all I've done was was to play for Kerry, and and, and you know, I, I I got that opportunity underage, and you know, I suppose it's amazing, like, and and and. I look back on it then and there wasn't any pressure put on you but like as soon as you were 12 years of age like you were being would he make the Kerry Minors you know what I mean as these <laughs> yeah. conversations were going on openly in front of you you know what I mean and, and yet it gave you it gave you something to aim for and and yet it could put you under pressure and thankfully it didn't put me under pressure because I loved it I just loved the thought that from day one I loved the thought that if people thought that I was good enough or something or they, they said it to you I just loved that I never it never put me under pressure. I never actually felt pressure 
of of you know going up to a level that am I good enough for this? Will I be able for this? I'm not trying to be cocky here, but I, I was never I was never afraid of, of competing, and I was never I never doubted my own ability, and I never I I, I always loved the challenge, and I suppose that's what something that really stuck to me. But certainly as a young fella, my my personal goal, and maybe the people that were close to me felt that is he good enough to play for the Kerry Miners? And that was that was my first big goal. And thankfully, I got that opportunity. It didn't go too well. We were beaten by Tipperary, but that didn't that didn't matter. I kept going as I went on the Kerry Under Twenty Ones the following year. And then, of course, the rugby came along. And then I, I kind of missed out on the Twenty Ones. Uh, I would say in '86, I wasn't picked for those playing rugby. You know what I mean? And this is, I suppose, I'm, I won't I won't call it a political thing, but this was probably the first time they were okay. Then there was a certain amount of people saying, well, you're going to have to make a choice between rugby and, and Gaelic football. And, then, and eventually I did make that choice, but I made it probably four years later, or, or maybe, you know what I mean? Well, mm-hmm. when maybe I was, I was never forced to make that choice, but um, I certainly didn't want to make it. And, and I remember a time in my career that, um, you know, thankfully I was I was in a position to, 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 to play football for Kerry and, and play for Shannon and, and, and Munster even all in the one season and you know summer winter so there was there was probably four years that I was training 12 months of the year but you know what it didn't do me any harm you know I, and, I, and I hear about burnout now and I hear about all that and that certainly is, is part of I suppose what young people are but I was always good to gauge my own I suppose my own fitness levels and my own where I was asked you know what I mean and um and I think it's very important for, for, for young people to, to, to be able to know that. Even at a young age, like, you know, you see them all now and they're, and they're really up on this and they're doing the milkshakes and they're doing the protein drinks and God knows what. And that's probably a part of it. But um, it wasn't everything. You know what I mean? I think I think yeah. you can you can think yourself fit and you can also, I won't say think because you have to work on it, but you can, you can you, you're certainly where your head is at is very important. Not alone from a fitness point of view, but from an injury point of view as well. I think, and both of those, I was, I was, I was mentally strong when it came to both of those. Am I fit enough? I am. Am I go? Have I an injury? I have. But am I going to be okay? I am. You know what I mean? And I think that's yeah, that's something that certainly helped me. Well, it certainly sounds like you had a, a real temperament for for the big occasion because I mean, you were only nineteen when you ended up coming off the bench in the 1986 All-Ireland Final to, you replaced the Bomber Liston, didn't you, in that match? I, I did, I did. I came on for the Bomber against, against, um, it was against, against, against Smith in, in Cork Park and I came off, you know, Mick Lyons, that wasn't, a, that was no great, you know, that wasn't an easy, uh, that wasn't an easy debut. I remember I often slagged the Bomber that the Bomber was afraid of Mick Lyons so because Dwyer took him off, you know what I mean, the Bomber was crying <laughs> coming off the pitch. <laughs> and I sat out Nick Lyons. I haven't tried the bomber all the time. But having said that, I was no sooner on the pitch where Nick Lyons tested me out. I remember he gave me a dig into the ribs and that. And I, and I, and I swear to God, and I, I was remember I was on the pitch in Croke Park and thinking, look, not that I made it, but I made it to Croke Park. And I was, to be honest, the ball was off at the other end of the feet and I was looking up at the stand like, it's, you know, I'd been in Croke Park maybe. At this stage of my life, 20 times when I've never been on the pitch, and, and there was a party of doing that. And then I got a dig from my clients. And then, you know, what did I do? I just swung back and I, I, I retaliated. You know what I mean? Not probably out of fear than anything else, but I just did it. And, and, and then for the last, 
when it was only 20 minutes anyway that, that I got to run on. But it was, um, I enjoyed every morning of it. But I remember the, I remember the carry lads, they knew that I, there was an issue, they knew I had retaliated. And all of a sudden, I think I'm way up on their estimation. You know what I mean? Because they had yeah. seen me in action. Yes, they had seen me inside in training and they'd seen me doing this, but um, it's like, you know, this is like the, Training is a dress rehearsal. The real thing is yeah. the real thing, and, and thankfully I reacted uh, on the real thing. And then, God, I, 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 I just, I wasn't going to be intimidated. I wasn't, you know, it was my moment. It was my first championship game, and they knew I had, I had played for, for Shannon before that. They knew I was involved with Munster underage before that. So you know, um, I suppose they respected that also, but they certainly respected the fact that, um, that when I hit the pitch, that I wasn't going to be pushed around and then you know I I often played against Mick after probably more more over it, it opens the pitches back there and, and I haven't seen him for years but we certainly had a good laugh on it Ireland could have done with you I remember there was a, in 1986 as well in the fall of 86 uh, there was a, a, a compromise rules series against uh, Australia do you remember that? I do and I love that I love that <laughs> game. I tell you I just love it. Would you believe? I'll tell you when you talk about that, right? The the Victoria School Boys came to Ireland in 1984, and I I had um, I played a bit of rugby, so I knew how to tackle. Yeah, yeah. And I played the Victoria School Boys played the Kerry Miners belong Killarney, and I played exceptionally well that day. I was midfield, but I was able to do what all the other probably a lot of the Irish lads could do it. I was able to tackle and I was able to, I knew how to tackle fellas. So the compromise rules were loved, you know, around the arm, the tackling that. So that made it great. And then, would you believe, I I, I, I was asked, I, I got an opportunity, like I was asked to go to Australia that, that time, right? There was two players asked, Jimmy Steins and myself, right? Yeah. I didn't go, obviously. I remember going home to my mother, got up and this was during the early 80s and then, I was the last one at home, and, and three of my sisters had just gone off to America, so, you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember my poor mother, she was crying, she said, you can't leave me, I was the last one at home, you know what I mean? I was the youngest of eight. And look, I'm not saying that I would have made it in Australia, I'm not saying that I even wanted to go to Australia, but it just came up my head. To be honest, I was always uh, uh, probably a home board, but, um, but yeah, the compromise rules, I would love to have played that in my prime, you know, because I, 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 I felt, you know, People might say, and I'll say it myself, you know what I mean? Rugby probably suited me more than Gaelic football. But something in, in between, which was compromise rules, I'd love to play some of that. I'm sure you would. I remember that series. Uh, I just got back from the United States myself, and I remember that as being as being particularly, uh, shall we say, volatile. It was great fun. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones, make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Now, I know you come from uh, Curro in uh, in Kerry and uh, you're not the only one who jumped from uh, from from Gaelic football to uh, rugby because you've quite a few very famous uh, uh, compatriots who did the same thing, including Moss Keane and Mick Doyle and Tommy Doyle. Can you, that must in some way have helped your, your decision, did it? <laughs> it did. It suited me. I suppose at the time I kept, I just felt it was the normal thing to do. So only when you get older, you realize, Jesus, but that was fairly unique. You know what I mean? Which, yeah, I remember Moss. I remember Moss playing football for Coro. You know what I mean? I remember Moss, mm. um, like he would have played maybe for Ireland. And, and, and the summer he played for football with Coro. And I, I just thought that was the national progression. You know, I, I, I didn't remember the guys. I got to know the guys very, very well after that. You know what I mean? With, like they'd be born in Coro and, 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 and that. What was it about rugby? What was the pathway there, or was there a pathway uh, between between Gan rugby and Kerry? Yeah, there was a pathway in Castle Island, but the thing about Moss is Moss never played. Moss went from Coro to, to, to I think he went. Yeah, he went to St Brendan's, the same in Killarney, so that's where he went to school, and then he went straight to UCC. So okay. Moss's route would have been um, he would have started rugby in UCC. I know the guys. I think they went to Newbridge, and they might have gone to college in Dublin. So the the, the rugby route for them was was probably much straightforward. My own, as I said, I was immersed in, in, in wanting to be a Kerry minor, and I remember we played a bit of basketball and we played a bit of soccer. And then um, our soccer team folded. So a few of my friends were going to Castellano one night and said, "Come down and try the rugby." So just down, down I went, and of course, typical. I was only 17. Went down to Castle Island. The following day, um, I, the people said, look, there's a trial game in, 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 in Limerick tomorrow, Mon- Westminster Tri-National. We'll go down to that. And my first ever game of rugby was a, was a, tri- a Westminster trial. You know what I mean? And, and I actually got through and I got through to the final trial. And to be honest, I'm not saying I was good enough for my biggest issue. I didn't, I didn't actually know the rules. You know what I mean? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did some of the other players. <laughs> oh, well, that's it. That's like a lot of fellas got through their whole life without knowing the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly... Well, they're always changing people. anyway, so... yeah. Uh, well, that's true, that's true. But, um, but, uh, but, you know, and sometimes you're better off not knowing the rules. I remember when I started playing, when I did start playing um, rugby force, I followed the ball, you know what I mean? I was mm. appearing out in the wing when... when they were kind of looking and say, what is he doing out there? You know what I mean? Mm, now it's the yeah. norm. Now it's the modern game. Like, I would have, and I wouldn't be afraid to kick a ball like if I got it, you know, in my own half. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was just... I was thinking, Mick, that um, there's a huge amount of transferable skills, obviously, between between kick football and, and uh, rugby. I mean, there has to be. I mean, the handling of Gaelic footballers. And who, by the way, just as a matter of interest, I mean, of the of the, the Gaelic football, because you played with great, great players in, in, in certainly in Gaelic football, you know, Paddy O'Shea and Mickey Shee and Jack O'Shea and Pat Spillane and the rest of them. I mean... Of these guys, who do you think would have would have would have had the ability to play rugby? I think I think Jacko is the one fellow that stands out for me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Jacko Shea. Jacko was Jacko had an injury in him. Jacko was the king. I remember when when 
but like when I was involved with Kerry, um, Jacko, there would just be a group of them training in Dublin and then they'd come down in August and they'd come out in August. But the whole, like Jacko had a great presence about him. He had a huge engine. He was tough. He had skills. Like Jack would have made a super wink forward or, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, uh, even in the modern game, if Jacko was around and if he had the proper training, I've no doubt that, you know, he was kind of... Uh, Keen Reed of this world, you know what I mean? One of these players that could just do everything and appear anywhere and and, and play it whatever way you wanted. He would have been phenomenal. Like you know the the likes of the likes of Mikey Sheehy, I'm sure would have made a, like a lovely out half. You know what I mean? Um, you know a bit maybe a bit like Raj. You might have to mind him a bit, but at the same time, if you mind him, he certainly he certainly does the business for you. Uh, you see Jack run out on a you know I, the great story told about Jack. He was rolled a lot of the play lads one year and it was probably 85 and it was pissing rain that morning you know what I mean and Jack looks out wakes up to the full morning pissing rain and Jack said jeez I love days like this I'm really looking forward to today you know what I mean mm. anyway to get the following year 86 they're there again lovely morning sun split the stones Jack was saying comment I love days like this I'm really looking forward to it you know what I mean like yeah, sometimes yeah. As, as, as a person but more importantly as an athlete you look out and you say you take you even take on the elements you know what I mean? You'll say, yeah, yeah. I this. this is going to do. And that's the kind of player Jacko was. And, and you know, this is what, you know, you, you like we looked at the, the, the golfers there in the Masters recently, you know, some of them were able to handle elements more and more not. Um, I think it's all about embracing them and, 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 and again, convincing yourself that it's, it's your, that you're okay with, with whatever whatever the elements throw at you. Like, how badly do you want it? And, and, and the more you... you you ask yourself those questions, particularly as an individual. As an individual, but if a team can be like that, and if a team can all can all kind of buy into something like that, and that's what I would have been involved with teams, which I, I, it's 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 so important. How badly do you want? How badly are you willing to to go through the mill to hurt yourself to sacrifice whatever? You know, and it's not just on the day; it's leading up to it. It's 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 a way of life. It's everything. You know what I mean? And it's it's. If you want it badly enough, I can guarantee you. And if you're a positive person, you're you're halfway there. You know what I mean? And it's, I uh, do absolutely. I remember uh, not so long ago, one of your compatriots in uh, one of the greats of all time, uh, Brian O'Driscoll, said in an interview, when he was talking about the tough the toughness of the game and how you know how how, how tough rugby is, and that you know you've got to be willing to. Uh, to, to get the guy and you've got to be willing to give him a good a good hit and you've got to be willing and able to take to take a hit and the implication was you kind of if you don't like smashing into people or being smashed into rugby is not your game and I was interested well I was interested in the reaction to it it was almost like oh that's going to be on the pale he should you know he shouldn't be saying that but I thought fair enough what what, else, what other way would it be what other way would it be? You know what I mean? Like, and, and I suppose back when I was staying, it was much more open. You know what I mean? Like, I remember we'd be playing, and and you'd know after a minute if you're going to win the game. Like, you crash, you you'd literally crash into somebody from a kickoff or whatever, an attack or whatever, and you'd know by the reaction that you'd get from them. You'd know the whole the reaction of yourself. You'd know. You know what I mean? You'd nearly know after a couple of minutes that. Whether you're going to win this game or not, because of, of really? body language, because of you know, and then wow. and then there was games that that if we go down to the wire, uh, because but um, but certainly no, and Brian was 100 percent right there. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, and I suppose 
And particularly how bright is the synth now? You remember? Imagine what it's like up front and the forwards, where it's like it's it's, it's a battle from the first minute to the 80th minute. And, and but that was part of the game, and that's what that's what we liked, and that's why we played it, and that's why we kept going back to it. You know what I mean? Well, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you later on, but in seeing we're on it now, I might as well get straight to it. Tell us what is it like to be facing down to to two lads who are huge, who are incredibly, you know, uh, tough, aggressive, who really want to want to inflict damage. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, you know, they're going to smash into you. That's it. So, so what is that like, Mick? Ah, oh, it's, it's look, it's it's challenging. There's no doubt about it. And 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 it certainly it certainly makes you ask questions of yourself. You know what I mean? And 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 you you have to be prepared. You just can't go into a situation or a match. You know what I mean? Where you're coming up against fellas that you know they're tough. You know they'll ask questions of you, and you have to be able to do that back. That was one of the great things I think that happened in say with the, with the Heineken Cup, the start of the Heineken Cup. We were able to win games at home. We weren't able to win them away. We had to learn an awful lot about ourselves, particularly on our away form, and particularly playing in France. You know what I mean? You come up mm-hmm. against fellas in France, and particularly, and even to this day, it's a huge thing in France. When you're coming up against fellas, they're playing in their home pitches, and they feel invincible. And yet you have to go there and, 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 and make them feel under pressure. You have to make them feel that you're not intimidated. You you can have to make them feel just because they push you around and start roaring and shouting and the crowd gets behind them that you're still not beaten. There's a great saying in sport and a great saying in life that you're never bet. And if you go in there with that mantra, you always have a great opportunity. You're never bet. You never you're never intimidated and you never throw in the towel and you never show weakness. You know, I know that's all very fine to say, because there has been times in my life that you would be kind of questioning yourself and say, Jesus, this is not easy. But you don't show us. You know what I mean? You, you know, because you know, because you know, at the end of the day, the fella that you're playing up against as well is using his head, and maybe he's probably more scared than you are, but he's not letting it on. You know what I mean? And then it's certainly it's a battle of wits. It's a mentality thing. And of course, you have to be able to add the physicality, particularly back then. No, it's it's. I think it was never more apparent now that you have to be so. So intelligent to play the game, so clever to play the game. Particularly, look, you look at the issues with tackles and that. Like, I see fellas now, like, back when I played, there was no TMOs. You could crash into a fellow with a shoulder. You could, you know, you didn't have to wrap mm. a fellow with a, with a tackle. You know what I mean? Um, it was certainly a lot more physical. Or, sorry, a lot, a lot, probably, let's say, dirtier, but not as mm. physical with all the hits you get now. But, no, it's all, it's all part of the game. It was, you had to be ready for the physical side of the game. I remember the first time I ever played a, a, an international, my first international um, was against against France and I remember yeah. just thankfully just in Lansdowne Road and the previous week there was an AIL game on um, Ballymena were playing against um, Shannon and the match was up in, up in Ballymena and there the same day um, you know this is back in the good old days we'd have the pre-match meal and we sat down and and back then, you know, if you play, if you're playing the following weekend, you were rested. That was, that was tradition. So myself and Brian Robinson, who happened to be playing from Ballymena, we both playing with Ireland the following week. But um, I remember Willie John McBride and Sid Miller was there, and one of the one of the one of the uh, bits of advice I got from them is forget about the ball for the first ten minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was actually a great bit of advice. You know? Like, yeah. I've trained all my life for rugby, you know what I mean? And then you're literally, you know, you're eventually 
catch your opportunities around the green. And fellas that had been down through the road, had been there with, with Ireland and, and the British and Irish Lions, the bit of the bit of advice they gave me was forget about the ball for the first ten minutes. Start to the And by the way, might I add, it was the best bit of advice I ever got. The thing I've, I've always really been 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 interested in rugby, really kind of liked about rugby, was the idea that there's an incredible fraternity between the players. There's a real bond. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Even even like particularly with the with the lads you played with, obviously, but as far as you played against, you know what I mean? Like there was. It was a great trust and a great camaraderie, and there was a great, um, you know, respect. I suppose you know what I mean because mm. you would you would have gone through the middle, and your backs would have been to the wall. And it was like, fellas, I won't compare like going to war, but sometimes it felt like you were going to war. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, sure. You would have to trust the fellas around you. You know what I mean? And you knew that like, if there was an incident, if there was an issue, you look around. First, you look around and say, "Oh my God!" And then you'd say, "Hang on a second. If something happens, this fella has my back. This fella has my back. You know what I mean? There's a, we, we don't have to have any fear here because, you know what, if something happens onto order outside of the rules, this fella's going to have my back. And, and there was instances of that in, in, in our playing careers. And, and maybe only for a fraction of a second on the pitch. Maybe only for whatever. You know what I mean? But, you know, it was always very important just to have somebody around you that you could trust and say, look, you know. And as a matter of interest, when you went on the uh, Lions tour, uh, only two years into your international career, British and Irish Lions tour of uh, New, Ze- New Zealand in '93, what was that tour like for you? How did you how did you find the the Lions experience? I I loved it. I I, I absolutely loved it because it was. I suppose it was the last amateur Lions tour. Firstly, mm. it was for ten weeks in New Zealand. You know, sixteen matches, two games a week. We like we went to places. And they just loved to see us coming. They loved the Irish. And there was only two of us there. Myself and Nick Popper. You know what I mean? It was the majority of the mm-hmm. English players were on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I loved it. And, and, you know, of course, like being away for 10 weeks, it was tough going. But mm. it, was, it, was a, it was a fantastic experience. And then, you know, you go to places like maybe the Lions had never before played there. You know, little villages in some provincial town in in. in in, in New Zealand maybe the population of 300 people you know what I mean mm. and there's a line team coming into town and, and you know why the locals that like this is their holy grail you know why the players you're playing against that this is their holy grail you know what I mean some of them might never mm. play for the All Blacks but you know not every All Black gets an opportunity to play against the Lions either so you know what I mean yeah. um, so from that point of view I, I loved every moment I really enjoyed it I I loved the fact that yes I was mixing with the English and the Welsh and the Scottish and I and I must say to a man I got on, on very well with the, with the whole lot of them you know what I mean yeah like there wasn't a and I and I'd be honest there wasn't a player on that line trip that I could say oh he was a bollocks or he you know he didn't get on well or he didn't like me yeah. no it was nothing like that it was an experience and then when I look back on it there was thirty players and there was. There was a forwards coach, there was a backs coach, there was a manager, there was a doctor, and there was a physio. There was 35 people on that trip. Now, you look at the modern trip, there's, there could be 100, players, 100 yeah. people going. You know what I mean? Mm. We got, when we were out there, we got a bag man, and a bag man doubled up as a rope man. You know what I mean? And that's okay. the way. Oh, yeah, the liaison officer. The liaison officer was very important. You know what I mean? It was basically 
This is before Google and God knows what. So he was able to tell us where to go and where not to go and what to do and whatever. Yeah. That's the way it was. Oh, I loved it. I loved. I, I certainly loved that that trip. And again, I suppose it's only when you when you when you finish up and you look back at it and you say, "Oh my God, how lucky was I to be on that that that, that trip?" You know, and that's been and uh, I certainly enjoyed every moment. Your free travel card can be used on all expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Now, you, you, you played, obviously, at the, towards the end of the amateur era, because uh, it went professional pretty abruptly around in '95. Uh, so you straddled the end of, of that into the new professional era. So what was that like? How did things change or did they change quickly? Uh, they, changed, they changed quickly, but it took a while for things to, to, to maybe to, to fall into place. I remember, I, as, as we said earlier, I, I got my first cap in 91. That 95, I picked up about 20 caps. And then, you see, yeah, I post my, my, my career was... was like I put it this way, I was good enough to be to, to go to New Zealand in '93 with the British and Irish Lions, only two of Irish players, and then in, two years later I wasn't good enough to be on the Irish Rugby World Cup squad. So I was kind of just fighting myself. Out. And game was more professional. Yeah. Um, things were changing, and I, I, to be honest, I found myself out of the Irish squad, even though as soon as the game went professional, I was a professional player, and I might, you know, I was, I was, and, and again going back to. Thanks to the channel, which we'll talk about, as you say. But I, as soon as the game went professional, I was offered a contract. I got that contract. That was my contract. I got the next one. So, but I bought it. Like I looked at it as as a last chance to move. You know, a lot of people might have looked at it as a career. But I, you know, what the RFU did with me is they gave me seven one year contracts. It's probably the it was probably a great stroke on their on, on their on their behalf because. Uh, you know, if they'd given me a three-year contract first time up, I might have thrown in the towel. So, but I didn't. You know, and, I, and all of a sudden, I was in the middle of of, of being a professional rugby player. But it was my job, and I, and I quite enjoyed it. And I also knew that I was in my thirties, and that I was, you know, I was really knocking everything out of this. Like I was lucky enough to be still a captain Ireland when I was thirty-five. You know what I mean? But um, at the start of, of professionalism, yeah, I was. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't getting the breaks, let's put it that way. But by the time mm. I was finished uh, of my own career in professionalism, I was, like, I'll put it this way, my last my last game for Ireland was when we beat, him by a record sco- when we beat Scotland by a record score in, in, in Lansdowne Road, and I was captain, you know what I mean? So, you know, I had a lovely finish to my career, even though, you know, it was kind of more or less, oh, look, there's no more in you. I probably knew it myself, so I was, I was happy enough with it. But certainly... I think when Warren Gatlin came along, I played against Warren. You know, when Warren Gatlin came into the Irish coaching setup, um, that was '98, wasn't it? It was '98. I found myself yeah. back in the Irish squad. Okay. Uh, then '99, I didn't make the Rugby World Cup in '99, but thankfully, 
Munster had started going well. We had started going very well. Mm-hmm. And then by 2000, um, I remember we were playing against England over in, in Twickenham and, and it was a good day to be on the subs as the says was we got hammered by about, <laughs> geez, we got hammered about 40 points. I remember myself and Trevor Brennan came on at halftime and things changed around a bit. But um, then the following week, I'll always remember this. And this is just like, this was a huge turning point in Irish rugby. The following week, Ireland were playing Scotland at home. We hadn't beat them in, in, in the 90s, I think. In 2000, we were playing Scotland and Warren Gatland makes huge changes. He drops like a lot of players that have been there for a while. It brings me back to the first. I got my first start in, in the Six Nations, which uh, was Six Nations then, um, for five years. And the likes of, but the likes of Peter Stringer, Ron Regarra, John Hayes, um, Simon Eastaby, and Shane Horgan all got their first caps that day against Scotland. I was right back for the first time in five years, so I knew that if, we, if it didn't work out this time, I wasn't going to get another opportunity. Yeah. Well, didn't you have that moment with the... You had that moment. moment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They look like your children in it. (laughs) Well, they look like their children. I'm like a mother hen standing over them. You know know what? They made me look taller, didn't they? You remember remember that little little saying we were saying earlier with too small for international rugby? Yeah. Kind of looking around and I said, well, at least I'm following these two lads anyway. So I'm kind of... Yeah. Uh, What was the line I heard you you said about... um, the Stringer uh, uh, O'Gara that pose or that that photograph uh, that you said uh, what was what was what was it you said about it if you two don't play well no yeah as if if you don't play well and I didn't I didn't put it as nice as that if you, if you do don't play well say none of the three of us ever can play for Ireland that's it <laughs> so very clever reverse psychology um, oh you know I, I, I use it a lot in my, in my <laughs> believe me well it's a way of uh, of kind of uh, telling them you've got great responsibility on your shoulders here and you're letting me down personally and I'm much bigger than both of <laughs> well, you you know you're right. <laughs> you're right it was amazing and I look back at that and I remember when those two lads came in and saying and, and those two lads would have done anything to me about asking because I I had kind of guided them through Munster as captain. Yeah. And thankfully I was there for the first day that they got their their their, their first caps because we look we all know what, what the impact they've had on, on rugby. Yeah. In Ireland and Roger's still having it over in La Rochelle, you know what I mean? But yeah. you know, mm. it was great to be part of the day. It was, not alone was I delighted obviously to get back on the Irish team for myself, but I was delighted to be there with those lads and, and yeah. John Hayes, Simon Hayes. I was delighted to be there for because it was it was a new beginning. And new beginnings can, can can work out great, and thankfully they did. Look, we didn't win anything that year, but look. Would you beat France, of course? You beat yeah, France. Yeah, we beat France. And, oh, and, like, and, you know, I was there, like, with the day Brian O'Justin got the three tries. Like, yeah. And myself and Claude, in particular, had been in France many times, and we got mini hammering, and we were bet out the door. You know what I mean? And it was mm. it was humiliating. And, and, you know, we always felt that we'd love to get back and to give, you know, just to win in Paris. And, and just to do that once was was huge. Well, it must have been an incredibly galvanising moment for, for Irish rugby generally, but I always feel that um, the Munster backbone to that 
uh, in the few years before that, and I know in Europe you did once you did a great win against Colombia the previous year and so on. There was a kind of a there was an already a kind of a tectonic plate movement. I always felt of kind of Munster rugby around that time. Did, did you feel? Did you feel that? Did you feel that Munster, the the Munster Edge, bought something kind of a backbone, if you well, will? Well, I did, and I, you know, and, and, and uh, yes, I certainly did, and and, and um, you know, because look, the front row was was Claw, Woody, and, and, and John Hayes. Mm. I was in the second row. Anthony Foley was number eight. You know what I mean? Theo um, Wallace was was oh no, Dave Wallace wasn't playing that team, but anyway, Peter Stringer and Rogara were there. You know what I mean? So we had, mm. you know, we had a good, we had a good. Look, we, 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 I think we'd seven out of the first ten. You know what I mean? When you're mm. that way. So you know that that was that was um, that was huge. We had an influence, but look, but it wasn't all about that. Like like Maxwell Kelly was a super player. Simon Eastby was was phenomenal. And then you had your other players that came in after and before them. You know what I mean? So you know, it just happened that, that we just had a good mix. You know what I mean? There was like when you look at the likes of of I would say of Woody and John Hayes and Claw, like you know that that was a super fun throw. You know what I mean? There was no getting away with that. And the more you know, and and. It was a it was it was a team that was able to complement Woody because Woody was what it was was personally or one world class player who and I think he got he got he got player the world player of the year I think was it the year after or whatever but um, we suited him as well because we I'm not saying we were doing all the donkey work but we were certainly we were, we knew that we had a beauty on our hands and we knew that we had to you know if we could put Woody in places there you know he was comfortable. Um, He'd certainly be he'd certainly be out the best of us and and, and, and we'd get the best out of him. And this and similarly with with Stringer and O'Gara, you know, when you have when you have players like that around you, and obviously Draco out forward, like, you know, when you have players like that in your squad, you know that if you can if you can give them quality ball, if you can work that a little bit harder to make their job easier, then you're doing your job and they're winning your matches. And that's and that's what rugby is about. Yeah, and with Munster, obviously you had uh, a, lot, a huge amount of success, and uh, there was there was almost a kind of uh, incredible spirit and, and something transcendent about uh, Munster. Uh, and you also had a few, you know, disappointments along the way. Uh, Heineken Cup finals, Northampton in two thousand, uh, and Le- Leicester in two thousand and two. So we'll deal with Leicester and that particular issue in a minute. What about the Northampton game? What did you, how did you feel about that? Yeah, the, North, the Northampton game was, was, I suppose, the game where we lost control. You know, we, we let the occasion get to us. And, 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 you know, we had a super year. We, we, we had a super win in Bordeaux against Toulouse, who had beaten the Hammerdust three years previous. Um, and yes, we were unlucky, you know what I mean? But look, looking back, we didn't do ourselves justice. We were good enough to win that game. We were, I, and I say this respectfully, we were a better team than Northampton. We just didn't endorse the justice on the day. And that mm-hmm. that was the disappointing part of it. And then the worry part about it, would we ever get back there again? Would we ever have that opportunity again? Was this a once-off? And, and thankfully it wasn't. Because we did work hard and, and, you know, we had our disappointment in Lille, the, the, the general Neil try that was and yet wasn't given. And then we, we, we found our way, our, our way back into the final again in, in 2002. Against Leicester, obviously. And uh, I was I was just, uh, you know where this is going, of course, Mick. Of course I do. Uh, I, I was watching it on YouTube. YouTube is the greatest invention ever, really. Um, and uh, that moment with, with Neil back and, and it just, the sheer sleight of hand um, uh, malevolence, malevolence of that, 
action. I mean, how do you, I mean, I know there was some afters as well, but but the actual issue itself, what what do you remember of, of, of that moment? Well, you see, it happened during the match. And, like, it was a few minutes to go, and, like, I hadn't realised what had happened. Do you know what I mean? I hadn't mm-hmm. realised, like, Jesus, but, like, as I said, I always said, I sat over this. If I realised that Neil Mack had done that, I would have started this crap. Do you know what I mean? There's no getting away with, like, there was, the referee would have had to get to the bottom of it. Unfortunately, there was no TMOs, there was no nothing, you know what I mean? Mm. And it happened, right? And then Neil back after the match and he did what he had to do for his team and fair enough, weren't happy. But then three months later, three months later he apologizes and I'm thinking, Will you stop? You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is mm-hmm. you know and that's what really um and I said I met him afterwards, I was like, why the hell did you have to do that? You did what you did for you know, for your team to win the match. And yet you know, I there was talk at the time that people in Leicester were giving up their membership to weren't doing that. You know what I mean? Um yeah. Look, he did what he did, and that's fine. But don't turn around three minutes later and apologise. Like, that's the part that, that really galled me. You know what I mean? What did he say to, to you when you when you challenged him, Ben? What did he say? Ah, oh, he, you know, he just kind of shrugged the head and, you know what I mean? But, but he knew that that's it. He had... He basically You know what I mean? Like, he, he, yeah. you, you make an action, you, you talk about it, you make that decision, and you don't go back on it. You know what I mean? So... Yeah. From, yeah. from my point of view, he did that. But anyway, look, that's 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 what it was. But can I tell you something? During the lockdown and the, the, particularly the first lockdown, I'd never watched that match over. You know what I mean? I, it was just one of those games. I said I don't need to watch this. I'd be too upset. But I got around to watch it during the lockdown, which was on one of the replays. And I watched it, and I honestly thought that day that we got a bit of a hammering, but we didn't. And I looked at the whole game again, and I'm thinking because I've spent the last 20 years thinking or 19 years to be exact thinking well we weren't good enough and yet I looked at that game again and said Jesus we missed so much you know what I mean mm. again we didn't do ourselves justice on the day which which was which was even galling me more but I got great satisfaction out of thinking that hang on a second we were good enough we you know we, we, we were we were so close to Yes, we came up against a very good team. They scored two tries. We didn't score any. But we made mistakes that we usually wouldn't make. And, uh, you know, maybe, yes, they forced us into some of those mistakes. But I uh, I went away only, only less than a year ago thinking, hang on, we weren't that bad at all. We were just sure. unlucky on the day. And, and, and that gave me a bit of solace, to be honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then, obviously, look, we knew we look. We knew that some of us was at the end of the road for us, but we knew that there was a bright future. We knew that this, um, that this wasn't a flash in the pan, and, and months were going to be around. So, just to be a part of the building of that was was very important. Yes, sure. we lost two finals, but um, there was better to follow. Well, two thousand and six, of course, the great moment finally arrived uh, for you, uh, even if you weren't playing yourself. Um, a word I wanted to sort of just touch on about your colleague and friend, Anthony Foley. Incredible shock, obviously, to to, to everyone. Uh, you must think of him a lot, do you, as, as one of your, your great friends? I would, yeah, I would. And he was one of my, you know, he was, he was one of my, 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 my good buddies. I was the best man at his wedding. Uh, you know, we, we we got to know each other when, when he was just came out of school and straight into rugby. And I was there for all his, his, his moments when he started playing with Shannon, when he started playing for months. I played the day he got his first cap for Ireland. You know what I mean? So mm. we were great pals, and um, he had been in my 50th the week before he he passed away. You know what I mean? Um, 
So it was a huge shock to everybody. Look, obviously not as much of his shock to his family or, or loss, maybe I should say. But the shock was awful. And yes, I still think about him. I still think of, you know, God, he was much younger than me, great at his stuff, and it just shows you how how fickle life is. And, and again, getting back to what we're going through at the moment, sometimes we just need to stop and think and, and, and prioritise and, and, and just be thankful for what we have. And please, God, we'll have those days again. But um, to answer your question, yeah, uh, Anthony often comes into my mind and, and we often miss him. It's actually amazing. Um, after the first long lockdown last year, we were going to have a, a get-together in, 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 in Killaloo and had some of us give a soccer or some charity thing, you know what I mean? Mm. But unfortunately, COVID put it into that. But we'll do it again. And, and uh, you know, he he might be gone, but he won't be forgotten. We'll, we'll have many good days celebrating Axe's life down, down our own. Yeah, sure. Down sure. A total gen. And like, again, you know, once you got to know actually, um, you're a real friend. You're on. People love his company, and I love playing the game of golf. And I just loved his wit and crack and humour. And I think everybody that was close to relies on also. Can I ask you a little bit as well about um, about, about Shannon? Because I know you've had a had a, a hugely successful career, Shannon. You won four uh, AILs in a row in the 1990s. Yeah, yeah. You coach there as well. Tell us. I coached there as well. I had a great, I had a great career with Shannon. Like again, I. I played for Shannon the year the same year that I won an All I won months and seen a couple medals with Shannon the same year I won an All medal with, with Kerry Urie, and that was part of my just part of my rugby career. Like uh, I was playing with the likes of Ginger McLaughlin and Colm Tucker. These were my mm. heroes. You know what I mean? I was mm. no matter where my first games I played against Donald Dennehan. You know what I mean? I, you know I, I I was these were fellas six months earlier. I was playing rugby blog test line and not knowing they would ever even get to the. You know, getting the same stadium as it was on my pitch. But um no, Shannon was great. Shannon, um I love Shannon. Shannon like we talk about the parish and and, and the camaraderie down there and, and we had a great team, you know, we had a great team. And again, Axel Axel was captain when we won four in a row, but we had some phenomenal players that came through Shannon and um, yeah. it was great to be part of it. And then it was great to be part of Shannon. Like the the IL was huge. Obviously the professional rugby came along and then you know, the Heineken Cup and the, the Guinness Pro 14, but um, TIL was king there for a while. But yeah, I loved my time in Shannon. I loved getting back there, coaching them and then giving them a handout and we were pretty successful coaching as well. I had a good old few years there and, um, you know, to this day, I, I, I still have great friends down there. I get to go and see them anytime I can, which hasn't been for the last year, but um, no, good people and I, you know, I have friends for life in Shannon and, you know, what I love about them is they, like they were a real club, you know, the parish, the, the aisle, all that. I love that. I love the, yeah. I love the passion that they had there already, and, and maybe they liked it too because they saw someone that, that that bought into it, and I certainly would have bought into it, and I loved it, and uh, you know, it was an easy, it was an easy place to be. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like you've got a great connection with it, and and I know a lot of other sports people and great sports people. Uh, Alex Ferguson, I know, talked an awful lot about you know just knowing about the history of Manchester United, like the connection with the with, with the area, with the parish, and all of these things are really really important. And in a sense, that's I suppose. I mean, do you think at a certain level that it, it you know in in the era of professionalism that you can kind of lose that a little bit? Our clubs can become too the the, the amateur clubs even can become too concerned about the pursuit of kind of excellence rather than the fact that they might have, you know, multiple teams and uh, which they don't seem to have anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the worrying point. You know what I mean? Like, I, 
you know, obviously, obviously clubs have to look. They demand success and demand demand existence, and, and God knows what. But um, but certainly, uh, you know, they should never forget where they came from. And that's something that I that I love the most, Shannon. You know, um, they've been around there since 1884. They've been there since the same year as the J was, you know, um, was founded. So, you know, from that point of view, and, and I suppose being attached to Toma Park made it huge. But certainly, the parish was was huge. Like I think Limerick is made up of five parishes, and one of them is. is it's so it's, it's it's fantastic from that point of view. But no, it's it's very true. Sometimes you know, people in rugby these days, and yes, it's it's fashionable to follow Munster and Leinster and God knows what. But I think you know, and I hear the modern player talk about their club, and their club is their province. Like your club is your club, and your province is your yeah. province. I yeah. could never, to the day I'll die, I would not call Munster a club. Yes, I'll, I'll refer to it as a club, but it's not my club. It's my province. Yeah. That's mm. that's the way, because Shannon is my club. Most yeah, of my province. Sh- and Ireland is my country. It's a story. <laughs> <laughs> Irish rugby at the moment, we've just had a, a fairly successful uh, Six Nations. Uh, where do you see Irish rugby right now, and where do you where, where do you see it going from here? When I look at Irish rugby, um, I see the quality of players we have. I see, I see the... The talent that we have, I do you know what I'd love to see. I'd love to see, and I know we we did a bit of it, particularly against England in the last game. Throw caution to the wind. Let's go out there and just throw caution to the wind. Um, play rugby, keep the ball alive, offload. You know what I mean? That is our game. You know, at the start of the Six Nations this year, we weren't offloading enough. Mm. The way we stop offloading is, is we're 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 losing our natural ball skills that sure. make us unique. I think I think we each and every one of us has some bit of a GA background, be hurling or Gaelic football, and let's build that into our game. Offloading is, is our game. Pace is our game. And and putting the opposition, not to, not to steal Jack Charlton's line, but putting the opposition under pressure is what we need to sure. do more. Well, and, and that quick offloading game, and particularly forwards offloading to each other quickly, uh, seems to me, uh, now I'm talking as a, as a total amateur here, but it seems to me to be a way... Uh, the, uh, the best conceivable way to unsettle other defences is that is that right or am I wrong? Absolutely, you're you're 100 right there because you know like uh, unfortunately um, when when we play that that fucking game that control game that that game the predictable game um, it's easy to defend against us. You know what I mean? But yeah. when we started, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like in fairness, like we saw what Leinster did recently over next. You know what I mean? I just thought that was phenomenal. Why can't we play like that? Why can't we mm-hmm. play like some of the games? The Munster play. Munster, okay, I know they got they got four tries against two loops in the in the game, the Highland Cup game they lost a while ago, but you know, why can't we all play like that a bit more? You know what I mean? I certainly think and then look, if you go up against a team that's that are unpredictable, they're very hard to play against. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what we need to do more. Keep the ball alive, have the opposition thinking, make them think on their feet and, and they'll make mistakes. Sure, because the one thing that's always happened to us, um, the one area in which we haven't excelled particularly is in Rugby World Cups, uh, as you know. Yeah. Apart from the great moment in 1991 uh, when uh, when Hamilton's try, um, I was there at that match. It was one of the greatest moments of my life, followed by one of the worst moments. 
but but you're saying if we play that kind of rugby, um, that that, that kind of quick offloading game, and use our our our, our, our handling skills and and our, our pace and so on, that we can take on anybody in in a World Cup and and beat them. I think so. Like I look I look at the All Blacks, for example. Right, the All Blacks will force you to make a mistake, and then they'll punish you. And I think I think that suits us better than anybody. If we put the opposition under pressure, turn over the ball. And then move it, and then do do what we do well. I think that will suit us a lot more. Unfortunately, the last number of World Cups, we we peaked a year too soon. We were too mm. maybe settled going into them. We we you know we look too good. Um, I'm not saying that that we shouldn't be be winning before the World Cup, but certainly um, you know there's a bit of a pressure coming on us now. That that you know what I mean for the last. Well, we've never got you know the quarter final, which is which is obviously disappointing, but. Um, you know, maybe next time in, in, in France we, we, we can have a crack at it. Question I have to ask you because I read it online. If it's online, it must be true. Did you once, now I think this is an after-dinner circuit number. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll say it anyway. Did you once swing for Kieran Bracken and end up hitting Paddy Johns? Oh, yeah, true? yeah. And that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's very <Right>. true. <laughs> I was on the pitch, so I was in Twickenham. In um, 1993, I remember we beat, oh, sorry, 94. We beat them in 93, this is the day I got to try in the corner. Uh, but in 94, none of the Irish fans were for the Lions. And then all of a sudden, we have this fella, Kieran Bracken, who's playing for uh, for England, who happens to be born in Scaries in Dublin. That's like, right. At the time, you know, and to this day, give us a reason to hate somebody or give us a reason to, you know, for somebody, yeah. for an Irish man to, to say that he's not Irish, that's all we needed, right? So we convinced ourselves, whatever happens that day, we're going to get Kieran Bracken, right? <laughs> so you know, I saw my moment. Paddy Johns caught him, right? And like, as I said to you before, no TMOs, no touch judges, no nothing could catch you except the referee. But I just wanted to be double careful. So I looked around, right? To see with the referee looking in my direction, no. So I just went for Kieran Bracken, right? So Kieran Bracken had probably knew what was coming because Paddy Johns had him, had him held and then I went with the fist and just bang and I could actually I could feel the blood you know what I mean there was blood in my hand I looked away I ran away <laughs> thinking yes I'm a hero right <laughs> you should be in Breaking Bad ah uh, yeah I get to the next rock and all of a sudden who comes up at the next rock well he came back again I looked around and there's Paddy Johns over in the middle of the pitch with a broken nose and blood coming out of head. Got him back in the and got Paddy. Brilliant. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's one of the true ones. The final thing, by the way, and I, I, I suppose all of these, uh, all of these podcasts have got to ask this question. I mean, a, you seem to be a very uh, happy, positive kind of guy. Uh, and what do you like? How, how has retirement been for you? Because you, you do have another proper job, right? Yeah, I have a proper job. I work with Left Watch in Carlow. Um, I live in Kilkenny now. I, I like to get back to Kerry. You know, rugby was was, was so good to me and it, it defined me in a lot of ways and defined my life. And you know what I mean? Yeah. I've made some great friends and great contacts out, out of rugby. I live in Kilkenny. My young lad plays a bit of rugby. Um, but, you know, I've I, I moved on to the next part of my life. I, what I will say is I made a lot of sacrifices as a rugby player and I enjoyed every moment of it. I don't regret any moment of it. Um, I still follow rugby and I love watching it, but um, it doesn't 
it doesn't define me. You know what I mean? It's it's mm. I I'm not the the fella or Balky or Uncle Kenny who's still involved in rugby. I am now the well, I'm retired, obviously, but I, I I'd rather be known as the retired fella as opposed to you know. So I'm 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 just I'm just happy with where I'm at. Um, I feel lucky and privileged to have been part of what I've been part of, be it Kerry, be it Shannon, be it Munster, Ireland, the Lions, uh, whatever. I just I just feel so lucky to have been part of that. And I suppose it's when you get that little bit older, you you realise how lucky you are. You know what I mean? Um, sure. As a great sense, the older you get, the better you are. But the older you mm-hmm. get, you also know that that that's, that's how lucky you are. And, and I I just feel that I was I was blessed. Uh, it's been fantastic talking to you. I could talk to you for another too, day, really. Your stories are just amazing and your insight as well. So uh, thank you very much and uh, talk to you again. See you. God bless. Bye. God bless. Take care. Bye. And that was Mick Galway. Wow. What a guy and what an insight into the uncompromising world of international rugby. He may once have been told that he was too small, but the size of his personality certainly wasn't. Just hearing him talk, I couldn't help notice the sheer character and the strength of his will. It would bowl you over and come back for more. I've only known him for less than an hour, and already I feel like I'd run through brick walls for him. Mick Galway, it was a pleasure, and thank you again. Today's podcast for the Senior Times was recorded and produced by Mark Murphy and presented by me, Gary Cook. And I look forward to seeing you again in my next episode of Rugby Legends. Rugby Legends.